chapter 6. Esther chapter 6. <clears throat> it is a fact, whether you believe it or not, it's a, it's a, it's a proven fact that women live longer than men on average. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there, there are there are several reasons for that. One, I I got from a medical website. It says one ex- explanation is that women suffer from Ill- illnesses less likely to kill them. Uh, uh, examples of uh, chronic non-fatal illnesses more common in women include uh, migraines, uh, arthritis, asthma. These conditions may lead to poor health, but doesn't increase a woman's risk of uh, premature early death. <clears throat> what, what are you laughing at? Oh, I know. Yeah, I, I know. <clears throat> that means I'm going to live longer than you. <clears throat> well, but I'm not done yet. I'm, I'm not done yet. Uh, but, men, but, but men are more susceptible to health conditions that kill them. Uh, for example, men to tend to have more fat surrounding their organs, and women uh, tend to have more fat under their skin. So <clears throat> it, is the, it is a physical reason why um, men tend not to live as long as women. But the, re- the reality is, and most women would agree with what I'm about to say, the main reason men do not live as long as men is because we do stupid things. (laughs) And we have some pictures for you. Okay? I I love this one. How stupid is that one? This one is great. I, I, I could see Lawrence doing that one. That that one is not OSHA approved, by the way. That one. <laughs> now, how many of us would do that? <laughs> this was my favorite. This was absolutely my favorite. <laughs> That's one way to change the light bulb. So so. <laughs> The truth is, most most men, and this is this is I think the way God built us, is we see warning signs and we're like, oh, that's for the next guy, you know, and um, and and women do stupid things too, but not not near as good as not not near as stupid as men. We we. No, on, on my way, uh, uh, like this Friday, I, I will be uh, ministering out at, at uh, the Lovelock Prison. And <clears throat> the next sign I'm about to show you is not the exact sign, but it's, it's, it's similar. Uh, I, got, I got this one off the Internet. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> this is about the stupidest sign. I mean, how many people would be stupid enough 
to pick up a hitchhiker near a prison. I mean, really. <clears throat> I know it's there for a reason, but it just... I, I, yeah, you would think, yeah, you know, you're... <laughs> you know, just common sense would tell you not to pick up a hitchhiker uh, it's 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 absolutely insane. But I, I, I have to tell you, my all time favorite warning sign was back years ago. You can, yeah, you can put that down. Uh, back years ago, my wife and I were out on visitation at a church in California that we went to many, many years ago. And we went up to the, I don't know if you remember this or not, but we went up to this guy's house and there was a fence, a six foot chain link fence around the front of his house. And there was a gate there. And and we pulled up and, and, and we got out and we walked up to the gate and there's a no trespassing, beware of dog sign on this gate. But that's not what impressed me. What impressed me was the first aid kit attached to the fence. Yes, I thought, wow, this guy really cares. But that is a good warning sign. What was, what was the best warning sign, the, the actual warning sign or the first aid kit? Absolutely. Exactly. You knew, you knew that the warning sign you needed to take very seriously. <clears throat> the problem is God gives us warning signs throughout our life and we don't pay attention to them. The man that we're going to be talking about this morning, a man named Haman in the book of Esther, is the villain of the story. He is <clears throat> arranged for the deaths of 15 million Jews. Let me, let me put it into context. He makes Hitler look like a Boy Scout. This is a very... Very, very wicked and evil man. His, his desire is to annihilate 15 million people for the only fact that they were born into a Jewish family. Think about that. How, how, how incredibly sad is that? He also orders the construction. We saw this last week. If you'll turn to um, uh, actually chapter 5 for just a moment, <clears throat> we see that he, he, he orders the construction of a gallows for the purpose of killing his arch enemy, who also happens to be Jewish. In verse 13 it says, uh, uh, yet all these avail me nothing as so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate, then Zeresh his wife and all his friends, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, then said Zeresh his wife and all his friends unto him, uh, let a gallows be made uh, 50 cubits high, and uh, tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Uh, then go thou merrily with the uh, king uh, unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. 
Again, this is a very wicked and evil man. This is not just a bad person. Okay, this is this is someone. You know, I, I wish I had the, the the words to be able to to describe how incredibly evil this man is. <laughs> His hatred for Mordecai was so so deep. And the word gallows here, you know, we, we tend to, uh, <clears throat> uh, we, we think of the word gallows as, as, as something out of the Old West, do we not? Um, you, you know, a, 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 a piece of wood suspended up with a rope over it with a, with a noose and, and we drop through the bottom and, and it breaks our necks and we die. And, and you know, in the realm of torture, uh, is that not a good way to die? I mean, at least it's instant, okay? <clears throat> I, I, again, that's in the realm of torture, okay? <laughs> but it, it's an instantaneous death. The, the gallows that Haman constructed is is not like that you have to understand the culture the culture here is the is the the persian culture and the persians were brutal people and they then they still are actually yes but they the, the gallows that was being constructed was not what we would imagine and in our minds, it was it was literally um, a, a, an instrument that they would actually impale uh, an individual on a large pole, and then and then raise them up, and 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 that way everybody could watch them suffer a slow, painful, incredibly painful death. See, that is the gallows that's being built. That is what this man wants to see happen to another individual. His happiness is tied to this evil act. Haman was an evil man. But God still gave him warning signs. Let's start reading in Esther chapter 6 and verse 1. On that night could not <clears throat> the king sleep, for he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were uh, read before him. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of uh, Bignatha and Tiresh, uh, two of the king's chamberlain, the keepers of the door who sought to lay hands on the uh, on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had come into the outward <coughs> excuse me, the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king, 
to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court, and the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than myself? Now if that isn't the most conceited statement I've ever heard, then anyway, verse 7, And Haman answered the king, uh, For the man whom thou uh, whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be be brought, which the king uses to wear, and the horse uh, that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and the horse be delivered to the uh, hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array uh, the man uh, withal whom the king delighteth to honor and to bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and to proclaim him. Thus shall it be done uh, to the man that the king delighteth to honor. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your precious love. And Lord, as we look at the, 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 the Word of God this morning, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would help us to see and to know how much you truly do love us and how patient you are with us in our sin. Help us, dear God, to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the first nine verses of this chapter are full of the sovereignty of God, is it not? Uh, God has been putting the pieces of the puzzle together and the final pieces are starting to fall into place. And God is alive and well. Sometimes we have difficulty understanding who and what God is. Oftentimes we, because we, we are people that need rest and, and sleep and so on and so forth, we, we have a hard time comprehending uh, an eternal God that, that needs no rest, no sleep. But God made us that way. And, and oftentimes, we, we, it's, it's just hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that <clears throat> we have an eternal God who is always working. I remember as a boy, uh, the first introduction, if you would, that I had to a nocturnal animals. Uh, long story, but we ended up getting a hamster. Her name was Frida. And that stupid thing would sleep all day long. And guess what it did all night? <laughs> Drove me absolutely nuts. Guess whose room it was in? <laughs> and it wasn't even my hamster. See, oftentimes we, because we are uh, people that need rest and so on and so forth, we, we just, <clears throat> we struggle oftentimes understanding this principle. 
But I read something recently that that really it really impacted me. It really left an impression. Um, it is a quote. Let me read it for you. It says, "While I'm asleep, my heavenly Father is busy uh, at work making sure the new day will be just what He wants it to be." Think about that for a second. While I'm sleeping, God's still at work, preparing the next day to be exactly what he wants it to be. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, it says, uh, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Boy, is that not true. Because his compassion fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. There's something about waking up in the morning and having the the newness of the day, is there not? And God, yes, it's that rest that we need. And God has been at work all night preparing the next day for us. God never sleeps and never stops working on your behalf. Amen. That's a tremendous thing. In the first nine verses we, we, we just read, I want to talk about the sovereignty of God. There's, there's several uh, elements of the sovereignty of God here, and one of them is the king's, uh, or, or point number one is, is God's plan revealed. He's starting to reveal his plan, and uh, he does this by first off uh, uh, giving the king insomnia. <clears throat> now... <clears throat> What was it that kept the king awake at that night? Uh, was it the cares of his empire? Possibly. Was it the, his finances? Because uh, keeping a kingdom running or an empire running, I, I would imagine, would be an incredible financial burden on anybody. Uh, as I thought about it, I thought, well, maybe the queen... Uh, had pizza for dinner that night. That, that usually keeps me awake. If I eat pizza after about two or three in the afternoon, I'm done. I, I am not sleeping there. There's just something about pizza that does that to me. Or was he puzzled about the queen's request? See, what happened last week as we were, as we were covering this, see, she goes to him and says, hey, uh, in the king's chamber, she says, hey, um, uh, uh, I need to talk to you, basically. And uh, he says, okay, what's your request? Well, I'll, I'll tell you if you come to my banquet. Well, he came to the banquet, and he says, okay, what's your request? And she says, well, I'll tell you if you'll come again tomorrow night. So <clears throat> the events that we're talking about here in chapter 6 are between the two banquets. He still doesn't know. And I, I would imagine that possibly he could be wondering, wow, what in the world could the queen want? Yeah. I mean, my wife has kept me up many nights. No, I'm, I'm teasing. I personally believe it was God. God just reached down and said, you're not sleeping tonight, pal. <clears throat> 
And, and, and unfortunately, there have been times in my life that God has done that very same thing. Psalm chapter 121, verse 4, it says, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall, number, uh, shall neither slumber nor sleep. Uh, simply, uh, uh, God wanted the king awake, and, and he was awake. The second thing that we see here is the king's choice of entertainment. Okay, the, his choice of entertainment. You know, think about it. Could he not have told his, his, his guard, hey, go get a group of singers and bring them in and sing me to sleep or, or something? You know, he could have turned on the television. I mean, he could have, you know, he could have, I mean, honestly, he had a, he had a, a, a vast array of options. Did he not? But what did he choose? He chose the chronicles of the king. Now, I have an illustration here. This is a, obviously a book. <clears throat> Last spring, when <clears throat> the pastors from all over Nevada uh, gathered together at the capital city for Capital Connection, it was our, it was, uh, um, our attempt to reach out to as many legislators as we could and present them with a Bible, and try our best to to uh, talk to them about the Lord and, and so on and so forth. In that in that day, <clears throat> we were able to meet with the Secretary of State, uh, Barbara Sadasky, Sagaski, uh, excuse me, Sagaski. <clears throat> Barbara Sagaski is a very interesting lady. I'd love some time for us to get her here at the church. She, she loves the Lord. She is a very faithful, outspoken believer of Jesus Christ. Yes, she's about the only one in Carson City. But she, she is very, very outspoken. Very outspoken. Just a tremendous lady. Well, as we gathered in her office, there was several pastors, again, from all over Nevada, um, she gave us this book, and she even signed it for us. Uh, see here? Look at there. Huh? Are you impressed? Are you impressed? The problem is, I'm never going to read it, unless I'm in the same situation he is. You know what the title of the book is? The Political History of Nevada. Now, if that's not a, a, a an eye dropper, they're never they're you know I mean how many of you anybody want it? Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, it, it was it was hilarious because see she's required by law to to publish this. I think she told us every ten years, whoever the secretary of the state is, it, it, it's required. It's a state constitution thing. So, <clears throat> so she had to do it. But when she gave it to us, she said, this is what she said. She says, you want to read this before you go to bed because it'll put you right to sleep. <laughs> and when she gave this to us, I thought of this. I, I did. I thought, I thought, oh, the, yeah, okay. I know exactly. I know exactly what you're saying. Because what did the king do? The king wanted 
the Chronicles. He wanted the political history. of, And he's like, hey, if there's anything in this world going to put me to sleep, it's going to be that. But think about it. Which book? And, and now the state of Nevada has a book. Do you think the, 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 the empire, the Persian empire had a book? No, they, they had to have multiple. So the servant goes in to the king. The king says, hey, go get me, go get me a, one of my chronicles. He says, I've got to have something really super boring to put me to sleep. So the, so the, the, the servant goes and he picks the, the, the very volume that the story of Haman is in. And I don't know, I, I, I just, if I were the servant, I would have, you know, man, it's two o'clock in the morning. I would have just randomly opened it up and just started reading. And what story does he start to read? The story of Mordecai. And now all of a sudden, the king realizes, wait a minute, I remember I remember that happening, but I don't remember ever reciprocating any kind of thank you for Mordecai the Jew saving my life. Now, if that is not the sovereignty of God, I, I, I don't know what is. But it just so happened. Now, you can disagree with me, and, that, and that's fine. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome to disagree with me. But I do not believe in chance. I don't. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in chance. <clears throat> I believe in the sovereignty of God. Y- y'all ever heard of a guy named C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis is one of he, he, he became Christianity's probably most outspoken apologetics uh, apologist that, that has ever lived. Uh, he, has, he has written numerous books that, have, that has helped millions of people. But C.S. Lewis just, just happened to pick up a book and read it. And because of that book... He got saved. He just happened to pick it up. See, oftentimes we fail to remember that we serve an almighty God that cares about the the affairs of men. The third thing that I want to I want to point out, and this is really actually pretty critical here, and it's the the delay of reward. See, <clears throat> reward and punishment was a basic principle of the Persian Empire, and it, and it, and it went and it went a long way to the loyalty of the king's servants. So basically, what would happen is if somebody did something good, i.e. Mordecai, then the king would do something to reciprocate that good deed, and it was usually something over the top. 
it, it was, you know, a big party, uh, you know, a, a camel, you know, I don't know, you know, but it was, it was usually something that was far above what, what would the action that was done. Does that make sense? And by doing that, it would, it would then, it would cause people to want to do good things again, you know. But the, the downside of it is if you did something bad, like the two guys that we're, we're talking about here, uh, it, it was gone. So in that, in that economy, if you would, what would motivate you to do good and bad? Okay, okay. if I do bad, the king's going to cut my head off. But if I do good, he may even give me a house or a, you know, a million dollars. And like I said, it was, it was usually something that was over the top. And he realizes here, <clears throat> it, by the delay, not only did he regret not having done something for Mordecai, but he realized, hey, this is something I have to make right. I have to make this right because it goes against the very culture <clears throat> that uh, he had at the time. Now, I want you to think back to the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. He befriended the butler, did he not, in, in prison. And, and one, of the, one of his things was, that, you know, hey, if, if, if I am good friends with the butler, when he gets out, he's going to help me get out. But what happened? Uh, he forgets all about him. In Genesis chapter uh, 40, verse 23, it says, uh, yet, not, uh, yet did not the chief butler re re uh, remember Joseph, but he forgot him. I mean, he forgot all about him. For two years, Joseph sat in prison. Well, two more years, Joseph sat in prison. And then in uh, Genesis chapter 41, verse 1, it says, and it, and it came to pass at the end of two full years that the Pharaoh had a dream. And it was that dream that caused the, the butler to remember Joseph. And they, they ended up pulling Joseph out of prison and he was able to interpret the king's dream. There are times in our lives when we, quote unquote, deserve the recognition of God in our lives. But God, for one reason or another, chooses to delay that recompense. Whose timetable do we work on? Our timetable or his? His timetable. And then the fourth thing I want to talk about here in the first nine verses is the timely arrival of Haman. The timely arrival of Haman. See, why was Haman there to begin with? Well, it was early in the morning, but <clears throat> my understanding is, the way I understand it, is he wanted to be the first one to see the king because he wanted Mordecai dead. So he was there to ask the king for permission to kill Mordecai. Here the king is reading the story of Mordecai. Here comes Haman. You know, and it just happened simultaneous. Wow, is that? Man, that's lucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Think about this. How much different would this story be 
had Haman delayed his arrival one hour. What would the king have done? He would have asked somebody else. Different answer. Different result. But the sovereignty of God worked all the pieces out just right. Point number two. Here we're getting into the warning signs. Let's look at verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, make haste and take the apparel. Now, now, let's stop right here. What do you think the king, what, what do you think Mordecai is thinking the king's about to say? Okay, go ahead and get all this stuff, get it all together, put it on yourself and get a prince to take you around and declare this, this, that you're, you're the man. That has to be what's going through the mind of Mordecai. So can you imagine what is about to happen in verse 10? Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse as soon as thou thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew. Can you imagine what would have went through his head? that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. That is an incredible statement. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and and, and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback uh, through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man that the king delighteth to honor. And Mordecai came again, to the king's gate, but Haman hastened to his house, uh, mourning and having his head covered. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his uh, wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast uh, begun to fall, Thou shalt not prevail against him, but shall surely fall before him. And when they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlain and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared. This wicked man, in all of his desires of his heart, I want to remind you of something. God loved Haman. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will, will ye die, O house of Israel? What is God's desire for the wicked? That they turn. And as we read this story, we, you know, we 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 have the tendency when we read the story, it's like, yes, yes, he's getting what he deserved. But God is brokenhearted. 
and God is giving him more chances to repent. I'm here to tell you this. God hates sin. He hates it. And he hates it in the lives of the unsaved. But he hates it even more in the lives of the saved. Mankind is surrounded by signs. And we're not reading the signs. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any... You get that word? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now I'm going to give you a very brief, deep Greek lesson. The word any and all means any and all. God has no desire for anyone to die without Christ. Even the most wicked. His desire for Haman was for him to repent. He kept giving him signs. He kept giving him opportunities. And one of the very first ones we just read about in the fact that he... He went into the king and he says, hey, I want to I honor someone. What should I do? And then he says, okay, put all this stuff together. And he says, and then present it to, to Mordecai. Now we look at that and we think, wait a minute. A light bulb should have went on in his head. Something should have, should have triggered But I believe, and and this is my conviction here, I believe that Haman had a desire to be the king. And by doing this, he was setting himself up for the public to say, that's going to be the next king. Because Haman was the number two man in the kingdom, was he not? But the most powerful Biggest warning sign, if you would, comes in 13, in verse 13. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men, his counselors, the people that he depended on for wisdom and counsel, the very people that he needed to depend on. And, the, and his wise men said unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of, uh, of the Jew before thou hast begun to fall. He, you know, basically they're saying, it's already starting to unravel, stupid. Thou shalt not prevail against it. You, it, this thing is coming apart, and it's coming apart fast. You are not going to win this one. but shall surely fall before him. What an incredible indictment. But Mordecai, excuse me, Haman doesn't listen. His his heart is so full of hatred. His heart is driven by pride. 
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Incredible verse for, for Haman. Pride goeth before what? Destruction. Pride doesn't go before hurt. Pride goes before destruction. And the haughty spirit before a fall. When we, you and I, when we have sin in our lives, and we dig in and refuse to allow God the opportunity to work in our lives, we are setting ourselves up for destruction. God is a long-suffering God. And He will be patient. And He will give us chance after chance. And He give us sign after sign after sign. But eventually, <clears throat> excuse me, eventually, the penalty has to be paid. And Haman was given opportunity after opportunity. If God loves an unsaved, wicked, evil man like Haman as much as he did, and gave him as many opportunities to repent as he did, how much more does he love you and I? Numbers chapter 32, verse 33. Mark it down, memorize it. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sins will find you out. God will not allow sin to continue in the life of a believer. He will point it out and it will become known. Haman, think about it. Haman, a wicked, evil man, God gave warning signs to. And I can, I, I can, I can see God thinking, Haman, turn to me. And he wouldn't do it. When God sounds the alarm, the flashing lights, the warning, all of the things, we need to stop, look, and listen. And then obey. I remember as a kid, they used to teach us when crossing the street, what, what, stop, look, and listen. Do they still do that? I don't know. Okay, stop, look, and listen. That, that almost killed me when I was in a foreign country where they drive on the wrong side of the road. I stopped, looked, and listened, but I looked the wrong way. <laughs> I stepped off a curb in the car. Yeah, yeah, my heart was just... <laughs> <clears throat> but the key is to obey. At any time, <clears throat> Haman could have gone to the king. Now, he could have gotten in trouble, but he wouldn't have been impaled and put on his own, on his own gallows, which we'll read about next week. At any time, he could have stopped and went back to the king and said, Hey, king, you know what? I allowed pride, anger, whatever to take take root in my life. 
You know, the king would have forgiven him, I'm sure, fixed the problem and moved on. But what happens so often? His pride gets gets involved. And we think, wait a minute, you know, if I if I go to God, if I if I confess my sin, then everybody's gonna find out about it, and nobody's gonna like me anymore, and blah blah blah, and that Satan is gonna fill you full of lies. God loves repentance, but he hates sin. Psalm chapter seven, verse eleven. God judges the righteous, and God is angry at the wicked every day. But he still loves us. He still loves us. Does he hate our sin? Absolutely. But he loves each and every one of us. Let me close with these two verses. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11 again. Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil way. For why will ye die? And then verse, excuse me, Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels, the angels of God, over one sinner that repenteth. God loves us. He loves us so much every time we repent, every time we get right with God, they have a party for us. Isn't that cool? They're partying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a party in place, huh? <laughs> How much does God love us? See, we, we see the first part of chapter 6, we see God's plan starting to be revealed. And, and again, we read that and we want to go, yes, he deserves that. But God, brokenheartedly, sat and watched the self-destruction of a man because of hate, because of pride. And the reality is this. Listen to me. Every one of us is capable of the exact same thing. Every one of us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,